Now I realised I said the word buttocks quite a lot last week. Do you remember me saying buttocks quite a lot? Uh, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it was. Yeah, it was a fair amount because there was it was a lot of detail when it came to the buttock clenching. But I I didn't realise said buttocks as much as I did until a friend of mine who listens to the pod, she was like, "Do you know how many times you said buttocks?" And I was like, oh, "I wasn't counting." And this was relation to getting the blood plus well just getting the blood out of me and so the first question she said was something you asked how does buttock clenching may mean that your blood draws quicker answer is i don't know secondly why did you keep saying buttocks because i never say buttocks apart from now when i keep saying it <laughs> it's because it's because so i wanted to explain the the sheet they gave me with the exercises on said buttocks ah i just say bum yeah so would I. I'd say just clench your bum. But yeah. it said... Your bum cheeks. But it said... I don't think I'd say cheeks. Just clench your bum. Yeah. Well, I'd, yeah. If you're... If you, no, come on. If you're clenching your bum, you clench... You don't need to add cheeks, do you? <laughs> I don't know. Can you clench another part? I don't, I don't know. I don't think you can. Just clench your bum. It, it sort of does what it... So, yeah. You know, anyway, so this sheet had the word buttock. So when I've recounted the story, I thought it was best to do it as I saw it. Well, yeah, I mean, I suppose it helped, didn't it? It helped get the blood out of you and all flowing nicely. Well, no, I still don't understand how butter, uh, bum, whatever clenching can actually make it go quicker. Maybe they were just taking the mick. You know, like when they just say, oh, and now do this, now do that. And it just is not, not they helping said, these, at all. These people are just going to do it. They probably didn't expect someone to sort of retell the story with the exact wording. But just because my friend was just, she's like, I've never heard you use that word. I, I've never heard anyone use that word. It was just because really? it was on this. Have, who who do you know that says buttocks? I don't Apart know. from me. <laughs> I don't <laughs> Apart know. Apart from me. Maybe. Exactly. When did you last hear the word buttocks apart from when I've said well, it? Well, it's definitely a thing. It's like, it is a word that is used. I can't specifically recall the last time I you heard it. You don't know anyone that's used that word. Well, I just use bum. Exactly. So she was just a little surprised at my language. And so I just, I thought it's probably probably worth explaining. It was the official NHS blood plasma exercise sheet wording. And you nailed it. What, the wording? Well, you just nailed what it was telling you to do. Yeah, well, I, I'm not sure I actually nailed it in practice. But so I'm not going to, I'm not going to say it again. <laughs> I've never said it so much in my life. So enough. Okay, it's finished. Okay, I, I mean, I'm more than happy that with that as a general rule that we have no more buttocks. <laughs> <laughs> so moving away from buttocks talk <laughs> there is no way to move away from it it smoothly but we're apart again this week having been we we were together lot i was a little bit quiet last week but we were together we were there yes uh you know somebody blame the sound engineer for that one that was who now who is the sound engineer i don't know who? if oh. only we had one <laughs> it may not have happened <laughs> it might make a difference yes so we but we were together because some people like we actually t we were together <laughs> we, but we were really we've, we've we were socially distanced of course but now we're separated by by a long way well yeah you, you'd need a passport to come and see me by a channel the yeah. channel yeah know, right I, well I'm at home so <laughs> I haven't done any moving but it was so nice to spend the week with you last week it was lovely to get back to work it was nice to be on site at a tournament so you can kind of chat to people and get the vibe and, and all that sort of thing and, and obviously just be 
be alongside you for the work and of course just commentating together is the best although we only did that once but it was it was it was fun it's like putting on and I mean this is a nice thing it's like putting on an old pair of slippers when I work with you but I mean that really (laughs) (laughs) nice but no I mean that nicely I mean that because who doesn't love because it, it's to emphasize the fact that they're your kind of favorite. Well, I could have just said my favorite pair of slippers. But you know when you have like... Comfy? Old, a comfy pair of slippers. Right. I'm not saying you're... Look, I'm older than you, Excellent. so I'm not calling you old. But just, you know, that feeling of familiarity. It's very relaxed. As it was with Nick and Rob. But it just... It was... It's like, yeah, putting on that old Oh, yeah. It's, old pair it's of easy, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's nice. Good chat. Lots. Of, I mean, cause that's the thing is when you're on air so long. I mean, there's just so many different things to talk about. So much time to to use to to talk about it as well as obviously you've got got the tennis in front of you. So yeah, there's just loads to get stuck into. It was a really fun week. It was really nice to see you. But now, yes, I'm at home. You're in France. Yep, I'm having some time with the family all together, having been separated from part of the family due to everything that's going on in the world. Um, we did when we were together. And you can't look, there is time in TV commentary when silence, well, when silence is necessary, that's when the ball is being struck, of course. Yeah. But where silence is acceptable. Obviously, radio is different. We have to talk nonstop. I know. There's no silence acceptable. Probably, how, how many seconds do you think you can leave sort of an epic moment? You're, I mean, you're the super pro. As in, well, if it's a, it's difficult in these times behind closed doors, but if it's a massive moment and you've got the crowd, that can buy you a few seconds. Yeah. If they're going completely wild due to what's happening, you can leave it a few seconds. But in this world of, of no crowd, I don't think you can because on radio... Two I, seconds? I, I even think two seconds is a little bit long with no crowd, no cheering, maybe yeah. the odd muttering of the player... And then there's this, but I think you pretty much got to pick up after the score, after the umpires said what's what. I think you've got to go again. Yeah, so you could be on air for hours and you're not allowed to stop talking for longer than two seconds but you you <laughs> would hopefully have someone alongside you because in in well, TV, yes between you there's only two of you but between you yes but in tv you have situations where it's it's normal to have just one person covering a match i yes. mean that happens on, on a regular basis yeah, you are and, allowed to stop talking but you, you know you're not talking during the points and even at change of ends you can just give yourself a little break whereas if you're doing radio on your own i mean it's brutal yeah it's 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 very physically tiring, I think, as well as, of course, it's mentally challenging. And, and I think that's the same for both. I mean, because I do both. Well, we both do both TV and radio. But I think, yeah, mentally, it's definitely equally as challenging. But just the radio, just the physicality of just having to keep talking all the time. Uh, definitely by the time you get to the end of a match or two feeling it a bit more yeah I mean they're they're, they're very different skills aren't they and I do a lot more radio than tv but I guess radio because you're having to paint the picture it's exhausting in the sense that you want to get the excitement across you are you are what gets the excitement across they have nothing else to look at you can hear what's going on but you're the one that's getting them excited getting them involved keeping them with you tv I find the pressure and why it's exhausting is because you're constantly looking analyzing and then when you speak, you're adding to what people can see because you don't want to be 
daft and say very, very obvious things that people at home are saying, yeah, I got that. You want to you want to add to the experience. And that's another pressure. Yeah, which I think mentally can be really challenging for sure to try and recognise sort of what the audience... Because the, the tennis audience is so... They're just so up on it, aren't they? They just know what they're doing. They're very, very smart. And yeah, if you just kind of repeat back to them what they've just seen, <laughs> the tweets will start coming in. <laughs> Stop stating the obvious. If you haven't got anything to say, don't say anything at all. Yeah, well, no, that's a general good rule to follow. But uh, yeah, that happens. Stating the obvious is much more important on radio because <laughs> no one can see it. <laughs> <laughs> they, it's 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 amazing how and i'm sure you get asked this the difference the difference between the two and for me that there's a huge difference between the two if you're amazing at one it does not necessarily mean you're going to be amazing at the other one because yes no you know you've got the knowledge and you've got the passion but they are very very different and from my point of view i find tv commentary harder because i don't do as much so radio I do on a, on a really regular basis. And then I come into the world of TV and I'm like, no, don't say that because that's really, it's really obvious, which is something I'm used to stating the obvious. Uh, yeah, you just have to kind of jump around. And then there are a lot of commentators that jump, I mean, within a day. I think this is across all sports, really. They'll do a chunk on TV, then a chunk on radio, then a chunk on TV, and they kind of have to shop and change. So you have to be quite, quite quick at being able to do that. But I, I agree with you. If there's been like a long period of time without doing one of them you do just kind of you just lose the rhythm of it it just takes a little bit while a little bit of a while to get that rhythm back and kind of feel a bit more comfortable you know how it's all going do you find it's it's a bit more similar in the analyst role than the lead role in terms of tv and radio if you're switch if you're on an analyst chair and you're switching from radio to tv or tv to radio well i think when i'm the analyst there are different challenges. Definitely on TV, I think it is much more challenging to your skill level. I think you get really found out if you don't know what you're talking about um, because people can see it. And as I say, people are smart and you have to, the audience at home, they know what's going on. There's, there's no way you can sit there and say, well, you know, really, if Rafa wants to win this match, he's going to have to serve and volley. I mean, what are you talking about? <laughs> it's just... <laughs> get off my tv <laughs> um but you know so you you really do have to add to to what is happening you have to be you know very conscious of how much you're saying at any one time i for me even my absolute favorite commentators my favorite people the most interesting people to listen to in the world it's still annoying when they're always talking after like just all the time for, for me that's just I kind of like just a little bit like let the tennis do the talking because the tennis is so good you know and the better it is the more it can speak um and it's maybe when it's not so good quality the more you have to bring I think as a as a as an analyst um but then when you're doing radio I don't think you need to analyze um there's there's less pressure to analyze in terms of as much I suppose in your ability and your knowledge of the game but there's more pressure on just being articulate being concise um and I think it's a bit more technical in terms of the rhythm and that sort of thing knowing when to come in those sorts of things are a bit more more challenging in that sense but I personally as an analyst think I have to mentally work harder on tv even though i'm saying less yeah no yeah it's just it's just a lot more to to think about and to consider and the amount of things that i want to say and i'm about to say it and i just think oh people at home are just gonna be like (laughs) well obviously (laughs) 
also get into a nice conversation between points and at change of ends last week during the Progress Tour. And it came about something, I guess, quite innocent that I said, which I love about tennis, a lot of people love about tennis, and then led on to something that we got a few messages actually through the through the, the tennis Twitter and our individual ones saying, I didn't know that, I find it really interesting, I'd like to hear more about it. And it was innocent as me saying, which I do love, I love the way momentum shifts in tennis. I love the fact that you can get these massive momentum swings that happen so quickly. Yes, and then I went on to talk about the differences really between men's and women's tennis in that case, that you get far more momentum swings in women's tennis uh, than you do in the men's game. And that and, and yeah, I mean, I just went on to explain that really, which we can get into now. But I would like to ask the listeners if they fancy it, because we did get quite a lot of people uh, messaging in. It seemed to be something that was quite interesting. Um, and if there are any obvious differences between men's and women's tennis, because this is one of my favourite topics. And the reason this is one of my favourite <laughs> topics is because I've been told as a female tennis coach that I couldn't possibly understand the men's game because it's different to the women's game. And now, really, and 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 yeah, I mean, all through my career, that's why I can't coach boys or men. That's just that's what the way because it is. because because you're a woman and you don't understand the men's game. Yes, has it been, has it been put as bluntly as that? Oh yes, I mean over and over again, and by people who I would consider sort of colleagues, friends, and so people that you know might be just saying it, not being nasty but they're no, saying no. it because they they genuinely believe that's the case oh, they genu- oh yeah absolutely it, it, it's just such a it, it's such a normal thing for people to say and for people to assume but then obviously my response is I've been coached by men my whole life and <laughs> Serena Williams's coach is a dude and you know and <laughs> almost all of the coaches on tour are men it's amazing that we've got Amelie Moresmo doing good work on the men's side of things of course coach to Andy Murray Davis Cup coach Luca Pui she's breaking a huge amount of ground but it's yeah it, I mean I couldn't even coach a 13 year old teenage boy that would be just it would just be assumed that I just wouldn't know enough about it and is there an element of physically being too different in the sense that maybe not a 13 year old boy but as boys become men I don't know, is is it, you couldn't, I don't know, hit with a guy? Is it is that part of it as well? Well, you can't coach a guy because you're not going to get out and hit with him because physically you couldn't stay with him. No, because on the men's side of the game, travelling with a hitter is not that important because if, even if, if you were travelling with a guy, a, a male coach, even if they could hit to a decent level, they're not going to hit as well as the players in the tournament. Otherwise, they'd be playing in the tournament. You know, like yep. if you turn up to Wimbledon, the hitters are not as good as the players in the event. <laughs> Otherwise, they would be in the event. Whereas with the women, uh, they can hit with uh, guys who are, are not so uh, they, they wouldn't be in the men's event, but they're still kind of able to, to hit with the women. But what I was going to say before we kind of got stuck into this is if anybody sees any obvious differences and they just don't understand the explanation behind it. Um, please just fire over what what you're thinking and I'll, I'll try and explain it because, as I say, this is such a great topic of interest for me that I've done a lot of research on because as soon as I started my coaching career, I was not... I say I was not allowed to, as in there was never an opportunity to and every opportunity was actively closed and I was told that it was kind of ludicrous. You would never be able to do that in terms of working with, with boys slash men. Um, and 
yeah, it just really annoyed me, which you can kind of understand. <laughs> so I've spent a long time understanding the differences between men's and women's tennis. And you know what? They are right, those people. There is a big difference between the men's game and the women's game. But it does, that doesn't mean I don't understand what it is. Okay, so so where do you want to start with this? Well, what were we talking about? It was the momentum shift, wasn't it? Yeah, and it, and then I think it went on to the difference between... Women always say it's easier to return serve rather than to serve in terms of... It, they're gonna, you're going to see a lot more breaks to serve in the women's game than you are in the men's. Yeah, so the majority of this comes down to physicality, which is something that biologically, you know, we're... We, we come up different and that that's the way that it is and it's something that I experienced when I was a player um and that the research just kind of backs up so for example what uh, relative to your body weight uh women's lower body strength is very similar to men's lower body strength it's a, a little I think it's a little bit less but it's not massively different uh, however, when it comes to upper body strength, it is quite significantly different. We're talking about 30% on average uh, that relative to your body weight, women would be weaker in the upper body than the lower body. When when broken down into that way, and, and I remember, I think it becomes a bit more clear as to why the game develops in the way that it does. So, I mean, uh, I remember when I was training, you know, I would be lifting in terms of squatting very similar to the guys of a similar body weight or probably, you know, uh, maybe more. Sometimes you know, I was stronger in my legs when it comes to squats. And you think about, and just take a second, you think about the women on tour, the strength in the legs is absolutely phenomenal. You know, we see so many of these really, really low shots um, from from uh, a lot of players. And it's just because we're maximizing a strength that we've got, which is that lower body um, power um, and strength. Uh, but when it came to, say, doing a pull-up, I could barely do a pull-up, whereas the guys could kind of bash out 10, 20 or whatever. The same with bench press. The difference in weights was absolutely huge. And I was quite a strong, powerful player, fairly strong player on the court as well. But there was just such a, a huge, obvious difference when it came to training. Um, and then that just leads on to how things go in the matches. So men have bigger serves than women because the serve is the shot that requires the most upper body strength. Uh, in comparison to the lower body strength. Like, yes, you jump. You don't really jump on a serve to get power. You normally jump to get height, to get a better net clearance. It's really, most of it's the rotation and the upper body. Uh, and and obviously, you know, guys are a bit taller to get that speed. So men are going to have uh, a stronger serve. So men are going to have the stronger serve. But then, okay, if that's one of the differences, and I think that's one of the differences that most people would agree with and say, yeah, that is difference. We see that. What for you the other differences because you said at the start there look that of course I can understand the men's game but I admit there are differences within the games well yeah I mean if we just can continue on with the the momentum um so the reason that the strength of serve dramatically affects the game is it means that women are in just a far more neutral position behind their serve far more often uh, than the men are so if, say, you feel like the momentum starting to turn against you, if you're a guy, if you're a decent server, you probably just think, OK, right, let's just make first serves this game. Let's just stop that momentum swinging away. You can pop in a few serves at 120, 130. That's not maxing out. Uh, and you're pretty likely to win the game, even if you're playing against Roger Federer, Novak Djokovic, Nadal. Federer can win a match sort of 4-4-4 four, four, and four in a slam and it's the same as a woman winning it kind of one-on-one. On one. It feels the same. It, it feels yeah. that it was just so, so comfortable. But the guys are just able to get games on the board a little bit easier with that first serve. 
The women can't do that. We don't have huge serves. Okay, some have some very big serves, but in general, we're talking just you know big generalizations. It's just far more difficult to be in a neutral situation. Now, also adding in the lack of that extra bit of height and the upper body strength in comparison to the men that the women have means the ball doesn't bounce up as high. We don't get much kick on the ball either. Uh, So that totally changes the returner's position because the ball comes through lower and it comes through flatter. Uh, So that means that the women's returns are far more up the court. They're kind of pretty much on or just behind the baseline for a first serve and on or just inside the baseline for a second serve. The men are probably a couple meters behind the baseline for a first serve. Maybe they'll come tight. Some of the stronger returners tend to come close to the baseline. And for a second serve, they way, way back. (laughs) They're all the way back. You can't see them. They want bigger courts, bigger fences. I mean, you're just never going to get a WTA player returning from that sort of position because the the shot's going to, the serve will be too low to return. So that totally changes the positioning on the court. So you've got the returner who will be up at the baseline, taking the ball much, much earlier, and they get a good strike zone as well. It's much more likely to be within kind of shoulder to hip height where they're going to strike the ball so the returner is able to get a stronger return in uh, and it's going to come back at the server quicker so it's easier to neutralize because people talk about it as a negative don't they you'll hear people saying oh broken again she can't hold her serve this is terrible but if but as a female player you you don't think like that because you know there's a chance largely that that is going to be the case that you might be stronger on return because the server is not the strength of your game oh I don't think it is a, as a negative tool. I say it's tougher for the women. We don't have the luxury of being able to pop in a few serves and just roll through a service game. Just kind of cruise along, get to four all with Federer before he breaks you because he's better than you. We don't have that. We have the very real risk of going down love and one, one and one every time we go on court because it's if you're playing somebody significantly better than you, it's really difficult to get games on the board. If you took the top three guys and you they played against somebody ranked... 90 100 and you took away serve and returns honestly the 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 amount of momentum swings you'd see there and the amount of six love sets that imagine taking raffer on no serves and returns <laughs> i mean how are you going to win a point the same with djokovic and it's probably fairly similar with federer if you see what i mean but with the women that's kind of almost where you're at like yes those the serves are getting stronger the returns are also getting stronger but it's just you're, you're just so in that neutral position. And if the player you're playing against just happens to be better than you from the back of the court or one shot better, then that will lead to those kind of more extreme score lines. And then on the flip side, if you're kind of more even with your opponent, we get these, what do they, they call them? The typical women's score lines, like six love, one, six, six, one or something yeah. like that, where you get the big momentum shifts in different directions. And again, it's because it's neutral. You walk onto court, you're definitely, I suppose there's less guarantees in, when it comes to women's tennis than there are with men in terms of holding the serve. Just You, you know, if you've got a good serve in the men's game, you're going to get games on the board. Like that's, that's it. I mean, the, probably the only exception might be Rafa on the clay. But if you've got a really good serve, you'll be fine. But it, you, you know, there are some people who do struggle to get games on the board against Rafa on the clay. Um, but again, but the reason is because he neutralizes it so well and you're back in a neutral situation on your serve so well that he will win a set six love against you. And, but that is what the women are experiencing far more frequently. Have you, or did you, or would you, or will you, when someone makes the comment, 
there's no way you could coach a guy because it's so different. Do you ask them to expand? They obviously believe it and you've heard it a few times, but have you ever or would you ever ask them to expand on why they say that? Do you know what? I haven't and I really should. But uh, what I do normally ask because because most of the time they're there coaching girls or women. So I do just normally (laughs) ask them about their knowledge of the women's game, um, which Uh tends to... I mean, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's limited because it doesn't matter whether you're a man or a woman as to your understanding of um, of the sport. But I mean, so one thing with the women, as I was saying, going, going from the the swings back and forward, because it's just so much more neutral, it can be much more uncomfortable because you don't have the confidence and the certainty that you're going to just going to win a few points. You're going to make things difficult. Things can really run away from you from that neutral position. As I explained, if you're playing Rafa on the clay, you are genuinely terrified. You could lose love, love and love out on Philip Chatrier. Like that, that is a, a very realistic possibility. I mean, he's won some matches there, love two and love those. I mean, I think in like quarterfinals or something. It's yeah. ridiculous. No, it's incredible. It's absolutely ridiculous. But that is a very real prospect, I think, for, for women when they're playing. And it makes things a bit more uncertain. It makes it more uncertain when you're serving out a set. It makes it more uncertain when you're 4-1 up. It makes it more uncertain when you've won the first set. It's it's just one set in the bag. It, 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 it has a completely different mentality. And lots of people like to say, well, oh, the women are just so much more emotional and they just panic and they fall apart and they throw in a six love set and they, you know, and, and all these sorts of things. But it's really not because of that. It's because you're just in a totally different sort of mental game. Uh, and you know that these things can really slip away from you. If your opponent starts finding the range in the back of the court, you might not be able to do anything about it. Um, and that can really cause kind of a, a definitely... It's more uncertainty, which in some players leads to anxiety. In other players, it can lead to to tears sometimes. It can lead to all sorts of different things. But ultimately, it's a panic. It's a worry that is always there, I think, in women's tennis. Uh, and it is far less likely to be there in the guys. It's true, isn't it? And I'm sure I've been guilty of it in the past, getting to a situation when player A is serving for the match and they get broken to love. And there might be an element of tightening up depending what we're dealing with and where the situation is and I'm sure I've said in commentary oh the nerves have got the better of her she can't handle the situation except I'm sure that has been the case without really thinking about the differences and no, but I think you're right though the nerves do get the better of you it's just that it is a less certain position to be in if you're Karolina Pliskova one of the best serves in the game I think fair yeah. enough or Gurgas or, or whoever yeah. I think less so Serena because just mentally she's on a different level. I think she's a bit of an exception. But just generally on the WTA, we're talking about top, top players here. Gerges reached the semi-finals of Wimbledon. Pliskova, of course, a Grand Slam finalist and two of the best serves in the game. Even their serves come through at a height where players can get a strike on it. Now, if Pliskova and Gerges are firing their serves down the tee and they're really hitting their spots and their serves are perfect and they're pacey and they're serving them properly full out 100%, then of course, they're not going to get broken. They're going to hold that set. But anything less than that, it, it really is a big concern. You know, they, It's not like they can just kick a serve in and kind of guarantee some sort of neutral return down the middle of the court and, okay, we're both at the baseline. They can't do that because we can't, Again, I was talking about the upper body strength. It means you get less racket head speed. 
and you need spin for a kick serve. The more spin you get for a kick serve, uh, the more it will kick. And you, to get spin, you need racket head speed. So you, it, it just is a knock-on effect. The more racket head speed you get, the more spin you get, the more kick you get. So we play with far less height on the ball, which is, I mean, the high ball is really uncomfortable. No one likes to hit a shot above shoulder height, even the guys. That's why they stand at the back fence, because they don't want to hit the ball <laughs> at their head height, because you can't do anything about it. But with the, with the women, because they can't get it up there consistently, yes, there are a couple who can do it, but to be, not be able to get it up there consistently, it means it's, it's in the strike zone. And if Pliskova doesn't quite hit her targets on the first serve or misses a couple of first serves and offers up some second serves to look at, you know, it's it's a worrying situation. A couple of big strikes on the return and, you know, she could really be in trouble. So there's there's always, um, I mean, there's always that threat in the men's as well. I'm not saying it's not there. It's just that it's, you know, they have a, a lot more margin for error. Would you agree that there's, that, maybe I'm saying the obvious but I want to put it to you like this because you have been a player and you've worked as a coach. Would you agree there's much more of an emotional element to working with female players than male or is that just, am I wide of the mark? Have I stated the obvious or am I wide of the mark? Do you know what? I think there is definitely uh, a significant emotional element to working with the women. But I think there also is with the men and I think it just gets really ignored. And because we don't have so much of the on-court coaching to have, have a look at and have a listen to. I don't think we realise that it, it's very similar. I mean, if you take boxing, for example, uh, they have chats with their corner after every round. Every two minutes, they sit down uh, or uh, and they have, they have a, a, a chat. And normally, the first thing is kind of, okay, now breathe, calm, you're doing well. It's, it's all the same things that, you know, you would say if you walk on to Naomi Osaka on the court. And you know the emotional side of sport is so, so important. But I think it's important across the board. I think, look, I, I don't know whether there is a, a big difference, but I don't think it's as significant as people think. I think that a lot of the, the reason that tennis, um, it can become more emotional is because there's less certainty when you're playing. And I think that that is really, I don't know, I just think that's, that's something that is totally overlooked and people just put it down to the emotional side of things. And maybe there's something in that and that's an element of it. But for me, you know, I talk to the the young female players I, I, I'm working with. And I say, of course, you're worried when you're up in a set. Of course, you're nervous about it. You know, if you're a, a guy with a big serve and you get the break, you're pretty much thinking, well, yeah, the majority of the time they're going to go on and win the match. It's not necessarily the case with the women. So. There, there are more differences, I think, to take into consideration than just the fact that they might be slightly more emotional. I think something that surprised me, and again, I'm not in, involved as you are at the level of the LTA and, and working as a coach and, and with other coaches, but being at the National Tennis Centre last week, the progress to the Women's Championships was absolutely great. One thing I noticed was was a lot of male coaches, and that's absolutely fine because you're picking. Yeah, you say a lot; it was all. You are every picking, single one. You're picking. <laughs> I was looking. I assume the <laughs> it coach was every single one that is right for you. But I'm just. It's interesting because I know a lot of women who'll say that I don't know when they're going to the doctors. I want a female doctor. 
I want yeah. a female doctor because she understands me. She will be going through some things. Maybe there's something wrong with whoever it is that a woman could understand, but a man couldn't because he'd never go through it. <clears throat> Excuse me. There are there are women that will say that. I know a lot of people would like. To. So it interests me that there aren't more female players who would want that in a coach and have someone that could maybe relate to them more slightly emotionally. I, I, again, I might be wrong with what I'm saying here. Or are those players looking at the male coach for, for the strength and be able to hit with them? I, I mean, I don't know. I'm just sort of throwing things out there because as I say, as there is an emotional element, why more women wouldn't want a female coach or maybe it'd be too emotional. I mean, I don't know. Well, firstly, I would say is it's definitely growing. There are far more female coaches out on the WTA tour than there were 10, 15 years ago where it was basically zero. I mean, I went to the Australian Open junior event as a coach and across the girls and boys, I was the only female coach registered to the, the junior wow. event. And I think it's because it's it's ingrained. I mean, look, one problem, and we were talking about this last week because as you say, you know, you look around, every single coach was, was a guy and there's nothing to say that the guy doesn't understand the differences just as I do, but it's just assumed that men understand it. And it's assumed that women don't understand it. And I don't really get why. I mean, look, there, honestly, I said to you before we, we started down this this topic, before we started recording, I honestly, I could fill three, four, five, ten podcasts with this. I've, I've done one tiny detail. I've done one tiny detail, which is momentum swings. I mean, you want to talk about why the men's game is wider, why the women's <laughs> are narrower and lower. Get ready, everybody. Get for ready. Me, <laughs> it's much more difficult for the women to get the ball past each other because there's no holes, because we can't pull them out wide. Anyway, we can get into that another time if, if people are, are more interested in it. But there are so many reasons for, for all of this. And then there are some things that are kind of just cultural, as in... Once you get to the age of 16 as a female tennis player, you've probably been coached by men your whole life and it just be kind of becomes the norm, the options of, of men. And, and that's it. You wouldn't, you'd never really think to seek out a woman, I don't think. You just kind of look at, right, who could I work with? Who are the options? Okay, well, this person works with the federation. I could maybe tap into that. I've got this person here. You just, I don't know, you would never deliberately seek it out. Um, but I mean, I know that, for example, with the with the British players, there's a massive problem. I don't know if it's the same around uh, the world in in that they want to travel with a hitter. When I was playing, it was only like Venus and Serena and top players that travelled with hitters because it doesn't really make sense. Because when you're travelling, you're going to tournaments where there are lots of players <laughs> that can hit and and want to hit. You there are hit hundreds them. when you go to a slam. <laughs> They're everywhere. <laughs> Uh, and actually, at a lot of tournaments, you're not allowed to hit with a hitter. You're only allowed to hit with another player just purely because of court time. So again, if you're sort of the uh, top okay. ones, Sharapova should always have a hitter. Of course, they would have their own hitters and the same on the men's side. But other than that, it was kind of just you turn up, you write your name down, somebody else adds their name along and you go and you practice. And traveling with a hitter, especially from a young age, has become really the priority so if money was tight you'd go you might go hitter over coach to travel with. yeah so the the standard thing is to do something like a say a Svitolina did originally had Andrew Bettles traveling with her as her hitter but she was working with Thierry Asioni wasn't she back home so he would watch her matches they'd obviously communicate she would go and work with him when she was back so she was kind of getting the the lead coach there and had the the hitter with her on top but again she, she was kind of 
When this started, she was top 20. Before that, she worked with Ian Hughes, who doesn't hit. So it, you know, it's, it, it's only once, I think actually probably she was closing in on top 10. And now that's almost the model for our best 16-year-olds, 17-year-olds. And what it does is it massively closes the door for female coaches like myself because they want to hit with male hitters uh, just because they can kind of, they can easier go for longer periods of time and maintain that sort of hitting quality from the back of the court. But again, like I was mentioning, it's a totally different ball coming at you when you play against guys and girls. And I think it's really damaging to not be out against the girls all the time. Um, so that's one thing. And just secondly, they're just not getting the hands-on information at the tournaments. You know, we talked about this over the past couple of weeks, I can't remember, was it a couple of episodes ago where I was saying kind of up until being ranked about four or 500, you know, the information that you need is... It's 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 relatively straightforward in terms of uh, digesting matches and trying to figure out what happened. Really, did you hit the ball well enough, and did it go in enough? Uh, should, should lead you to the outcome of the match. <laughs> if there's a, an answer is no to one of those points, you might have lost. If the answer is yes to both of those <laughs> points, you probably won. Uh, but then when you move on, it's much more about uh, looking at more of the nuances, looking at how you're using your game, when you're using things. You need a lot more coaching and a lot more experience coaching and help within matches to try and get your game out at the right time, at the best times, in the right way. And it becomes a little more difficult. And then you've got tactics that come into it and all that sort of thing. And I just worry that a lot of these players are kind of out with hitters who I'm sure are super passionate, very hardworking, will be out there for hours on end, but just don't have the the level of knowledge that's going to help progress somebody from 400 to, to 100. That's interesting. I, I'm looking forward to our next 10 pods on the subject. And <laughs> and and as you said, if, if someone's listening and there's a particular area or a difference that they see or any question they want to ask on this subject, um, I've actually thought of quite a few questions. So do let us know. We've got the website, we have Twitter, we have Instagram, and then we have our our personal Twitter accounts or the tennis ones. So whichever way you want to get in, in touch with us. A couple of things I want to say before we have to go our separate ways. Uh, firstly, the present I gave you, it's a dingo. Yes, I know. Not, not I was a informed fox. informed by my friend from New Zealand. I just mm-hmm. held it up in his face and said, what is this? And he said, it's a dingo. So there we go. You see, you see, it was instant. It was a dingo. Yeah. For you, it was a fox. And we had a few people on Twitter sending us like gifts and pictures of dingoes. So nice. it's it's not a fox, it's a dingo. Okay? Wait, is Sven a dingo? Sven is not a dingo and Sven is not, <laughs> no, I'm and aware. Sven is not a fox. <laughs> Can I just add that in? I'm aware that he's not a dingo. He's a, a slightly grumpy dog. Yeah? yeah? I think we agree on that. I think that's fair. I think that's Now, fair. things we didn't get around to, but I think partly because, as we always say with this pod, we sort of, we love to discuss these. We're not necessarily sort of a, a news pod, but we are waiting at the moment on some news, by the time people listen to this, Washington may have been cancelled. Apparently, it's teetering on the brink. And, and we've heard from, from people, and there are sources, and there are other people saying that the US Open is 50-50. And this comes down to not precautions that the tournaments have put in place. It's the travel problems. It's the quarantine. It's something you said right at the start of this pandemic. The problem with tennis is it is truly, truly, truly a global sport. So how on earth do you move all these people around safely? I don't know. Was that a question for me? I've got no answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's, it's, it's what you said 
months ago now, you said the hardest thing about getting tennis back up and running is of the global nature of the sport. And with and especially if we're looking at, at the US and we know that the Asian swing is in doubt because China, so well, we're not holding any international events in, in 2020 because it's the movement of people. And in tennis, there's an awful lot of movement of people. Yeah, I have had a couple of conversations with, with friends who are just general sporting fans. They've been asking me about the schedule. And and I've been saying, okay, well, I'll go through it week by week. So they start off in Washington, and then it's uh, this is the men's schedule, uh, for example. Start off in Washington, then it goes to New York for three weeks, then the next week's in Madrid, the next week's in Rome, the next week's in Paris. And they're just looking at me going, well, I mean, that can't happen. <laughs> That's just <laughs> ridiculous. Uh-huh. And they said, how many people are moving to these places? Oh, hundreds maybe more <laughs> who knows uh so yeah it does seem quite ambitious it's yeah look it's difficult but we believe that the washington decision could be in the next few days or it might be as you listen to this podcast it might be out and they're expecting confirmation either way from the usta about the us open by the and that will also include cincinnati because that's in the new york bubble by the end of the month so that should be in the next week or so but as with everything at the moment, question marks against towards the end of the year as well basel got cancelled yep. already uh, but then they had no federal i was gonna so say it's a bit yeah, of a bummer. so it's probably for the best <laughs> we'll, we'll be back next year <laughs> might have cancelled it anyway <laughs> no federal sorry we're not playing uh, it, we just we just don't know but friends always ask me you know what are you working on what's happening i'm like I genuinely don't know. I, we would have been working together next week because um, you're working on Battle of the Brits 2, the National Tennis Centre. Um, yeah. Fortunately, unfortunately, because fortunately it's it's wonderful to be away with the family and seeing family that we haven't seen in almost a year. But unfortunately, it means we can't be, we can't know, be together for next which week. Which is rubbish. But hopefully, I mean, whatever tournaments go ahead towards the end of the year, we should be able to, to link up there. But again, I mean, oh, there's just so much... Hey, well, let's just regroup in a week. And I don't know what you're doing for the rest of the day, but do you know what I'm going to be doing? Uh, swimming. I'm going to be playing a game called Hide from the Baguette. Oh. Because <laughs> remember we so talked about the, the only positive... The only, no, because normally the French are running towards the baguettes. Right. But remember we spoke about the French Open postponement. Probably the only positive for us is that, especially for me, is I, I, I didn't eat the 50-odd baguettes I probably would eat over yeah. the course of of two or three weeks I've now got that issue again because I'm in France for a, a period of time they're everywhere every corner I go around every time I walk down the street there's just people with armfuls of baguettes yeah. so it's 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 part of my daily routine here is to hide from the baguette oh I thought you were genuinely <laughs> talking about like a kids game like tag or something what? and in my what head there's a kids game hide from the baguette in my head I had vis- um, visions of somebody walking around with a baguette trying to find everybody like hide and seek and then when you found them you just kind of beat them with the baguette <laughs> oh wow I mean okay firstly what kind of kids game involves beating someone with a baguette well it doesn't and- hurt that much it's fine so, and how stereotypical would it be if there was a game in France called Hide from I the Baguette? I thought you were being serious. <laughs> oh, well, I am being serious. I am genuinely hiding from baguettes because every meal someone waves one at you saying, do you want a baguette? Do you want some bread? And of course you do because it's really nice. But you're thinking, if I do this for the next how, however many weeks, it's going to be a disaster. You know, you, you leave the house and there's people with like three or four tucked under their arm. It's it's So no, it's, it's a game I am... Look, the baguettes don't know I'm playing it, but I'm genuinely 
that's generally part of my daily routine. <laughs> sounds, sounds intense. Well, it's better than beating someone with a baguette that you'd be doing if you were here. <laughs> well, you know, mine sounds way more fun. Yeah. Okay, right. On that cheerful note, I'm off. <laughs> Quick, hi. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> 